Hello and welcome to episode number 62 of the podcast, Shut Up and Sit Down Podcast Podcast. I'm Matt Lees, I'm joined by Quintus Smith and Paul Dean. Hi, how are you? How are you? I'm good, how are you Quince? Uh, I'm doing good, uh, I was just ordered to drink my coffee but not down my coffee. Don't down it, just coffee. drink it, just yeah, have a sip. Matt drink before it. the podcast was on, so I'm thrown, is how I'm feeling. I'm sorry, mm. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a, a fascist when it comes to hot drinks. Yeah. And I've just had a banana and a bit of a run. Well, that's how World War II began. I know. So let's not mess around with that. Uh, If you're listening to this, you are... uh, You should, I I hope, be ready for some board games. My words are failing me. But the board games won't, because board games are good these days. And the board games we've got... Paul, you're going to be talking about Bruges, aren't you? Bruges? Yeah, Bruges, 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 Bruges. Really good game. Lovely stuff. You're going to be positioning us positioning us in Bruges. And then Matt and I have been dealing with the hangover of our Board Game Geek Top 100 feature we talked we about have. a while back, um, because we've been playing three games <gasps> from the Top 100, which is Zombicide, Black Plague, Railways of the World, so yep. that goes from yep. cool to not cool really quickly, um, and uh, I've been playing Orléans. Uh, and also, you know, Tigris and Euphrates, which ah, we, Tigris and latest Euphrates, video review, which was a latest video review, but we can touch on that very quickly to encourage that. people to go and check out the video as well. Let's do that. Uh, but uh, Paul, I feel I would feel bad if we kept you from talking about Bruges any longer because you are very excited about. You got Bruges all over your legs, right? All over them, just Bruges. Oh, for f- <laughs> ah, this is actually that's partly true, but that's a separate discussion. Bruges. So I played Bruges uh, this weekend. It is uh, not old, but I guess somewhat older Stefan Feld designed uh, Euro style game. Um, And I really, really liked it. And it's currently out of print. And I believe it's been out of print for a while. And there's been discussion about Z-Man games maybe bringing it back. I hope they do, because I really enjoyed it. I had a really good time with it. Okay, yeah. Z-Man games, of course, had a a whole big catalogue. And then they were bought by... Uh, Asmodee a while back and now as I understand it there's a lot of people at, at Zedman with like printouts of about a thousand emails of people people asking them to reprint different things and they just they're, they're struggling it's like they're, they're at, at war but the war is board games the, well it's worth fighting for so okay you uh, you basically have this old uh, Belgian town of Bruges and it has canals which you know need to be dug out and constructed because every good town has canals mm-hmm. um, you have uh, at the moment no buildings in your streets so you really should pop some buildings down because you need those and you mm-hmm. need to populate those buildings with people it's one of those games where I suppose you use the term sort of victory point salad, whereby there are different things that can score you points. And you can go, you don't really tend to go just in one direction. You try and do a bit of everything. But fundamentally, it's driven by this deck of cards, which are all different characters. All different people that can live in Bruges. In Bruges, in your buildings that you build. Uh, in buildings in Bruges. What, uh, what era of Bruges are we talking about here? Is it like 2016 kind of stag do Hindu, or is it earlier than that? It's it's a little bit earlier. I want to say it's about sort of 16th, 17th century Bruges. So it's that classic. Wow, that's that's old. That's, that's that board this, game This era. game sounds old. You know, we, uh, we always want Renaissance people building and trading and like giving each other spices in board games. And yeah, Paul, you should have definitely just said that it's set in the age when all German board games are set. Yeah. <laughs> when, that age when people wore hats that just looked a bit dumb. Uh, yeah, that's all German games. It has a lot but, of hats. So, so these cards with people with hats. So they all have like individual roles. You draw a bunch of these cards every turn, and um, they, they can all be used to do a certain thing. They can 
help you build another part of a canal. They can be turned over and turned into a house and put down that another card is put on because all the all these cards are people that need to live in a house. Um, they can be just traded for money, and you'll need money to do a lot of the other things as well in the game. Like money goes towards uh, building canals and things. So you you always have this choice in a sort of race for the galaxy kind of way of am I going to burn this card for some form of sort of income or construction, or am I going to use the card to do what the card does? So wait, sorry, I, Matt and I are struggling over here. So I, have- I just love board games sometimes. Obviously, it's a canal. Flip it over. It's a person. It's a house. Oh, you can yeah. burn it for money right. to build another canal. It's just like this points where board games just get like wonderfully convoluted to the point of not making any sense. That, yeah, well, so that- here's the thing: you you would think that it's complicated, but it's not actually that complex because you have the same choice with every card, every turn, all the time. Is do I? cash this in for something or do i use it for the unique person who is on it which can be it's entirely contextual they can be hugely powerful because once you have a couple of houses that you can put these people into you put them down you put them face up and they could be like a singer they could be a lion tamer they could be a spice merchant they could be an astronomer some of them all things that belgium is famous for today and that. in in history, particularly like like the the funny thing about the tamer card is it's got a guy who's like clearly been scratched by an animal, <laughs> so he's immediately not that good. And then the spice merchant just looks like he's high. So there's oh, yeah. a, a comic element to some of the card art. Not I don't think it's deliberately supposed to be funny either. But yeah. all of these people have like either a one time power or a power that triggers uh, every time a certain thing happens. And many of them can stack. So you can have like a person you put down and it's like all of your one-time powers now fire twice. Or if you okay. have people who are, and if you have like other entertainers, you get even more points from having this entertainer. And it's all very like, it points you in certain directions immediately because you start thinking, am I going to set collect these people? Am I going to u- try and use combo powers? Am I going to try and use a lot of single, like one-time powers, but really powerful ones? Because I'll, like, I'll play a person who gives me more money and then I'll play another person who values the double of another, uh, doubles the value of another person. Well, um, it sounds like a classic, classic board game decision. Do yeah. I value this and want to keep this person, or do I want to turn them into a canal? <laughs> yes, that is exactly I mean, it, what it is. I um, think the last Feld game that Matt and I played was was Trajan, and this does sound similar in that it sounds satisfying while not giving me anything to really invest in as someone who's listening to you talk about it. Like, Feld does beautiful mechanics, but it's kind of difficult to sell his games sometimes. I it really really worked for me the amount the fact that every turn is a choice and the choices tend to be they're sort of broad but shallow they're usually very very simple choices of just like is this a card I'm going to hold on to is it a card I'm going to burn for a like how power? many how many cards do you hold in your hand at a time that's I the sort of thing I'm interested in with this sort five. of thing five um, and there's okay, decks so, of yeah, hundreds five. so you see you know you don't even see all okay. of that in one or two games sure so there's yeah um, oh, what's that was that um, something I. Oh. I forget the name of them, but it was um, the one we played alongside and reviewed alongside Imperial Imperial Settlers. Oh, Nations. Nations, that sort of thing. The most forgettable name. Yeah, I know, right? But that sort of thing of it being like, hey, hey, there's too many cards. Like, you'll see, like, a fraction of them. And that's kind of part of the fun. That's always exciting. Although I I do kind of feel bad sometimes where I will play a game and have a great time with it. And then I'll say to the person, you know, demoing it at a convention, oh, well... What's the other stuff that I can play with next time? And they're like, no, you, you played the it. game. Yeah. That's it. And that should be fine because that is enough for like 95% of board games that have ever been made. But 
but it, I don't know. I guess I feel greedy, and I'm like, "What? You can't feed me more <laughs> pieces of artwork?" Then I just go crazy. I feel it's a, that's a big draw of the game is the fact that there's so much in there, and because every power is unique, they can combo in so many different ways, in so oh, many different exciting. ways you didn't even think of. But this is this. Is, so I'm really excited for you to do a review of Bruges, but it's currently completely out of print. Until, it, but will I guess keep people aware of it uh, yes. as the reprint comes? I have seen like I've seen some very brief chat on uh, I think BGG uh, Board Game Geek talking about people who'd heard about rumors of a reprint, and then I've even heard retailers say rumors of pre-orders for a reprint, but they've sort of vanished into nowhere. So I don't know how solid any of this really is. But if anyone I've from heard the Z-Man I've heard the trees in the the trees in the whispering woods of Endor whisper and cry out at night that there may be a reprint. I hear that if you walk through there, you just hear... Oh, and I forgot to tell you the best thing, which is also okay. uh, there's constant there's the constant risk of disasters, which is there may be fire, flood, plague, riots, um, and you, you collect these tokens between turns based on... Um, you roll dice at the start of each turn that determine the value of certain things, but if the dice roll very high values, then there's also a chance of fire and flood and plague you collect these tokens if you collect three of these that thing happens to you so like uh, your part of the town floods or catches fire another thing you can do with the cards that you have is burn them to basically uh get rid of tokens so you can look at your acrobat and be like do i want to employ this acrobat or do i want to send him out into the crowd that's about to riot so they tear him apart and leave do I want to insert this acrobat into the hole in the levee yep. so that the water doesn't... You see, I like that, yeah, because immediately yep. that's like your brain starts filling the gaps and yep. that's funny. Even though it's kind of a non-decision that usually I wouldn't like, but I'll let it off for being thematic. Well, I like that, I mean, uh, sort of German-style engine-building games don't often have, like, catastrophes. That's something I think, um, God, a blast from the past, but Kingsburg, um, the game yeah. that fancy, like republished... Of course, has everyone building their fantasy city, but then between rounds, um, orcs or something attack, and then you can have your walls knocked down and things destroyed. And then you have abilities to do with seeing how big the orc force that is coming gotcha, is. Gotcha, gotcha. But I, I like that mechanic—the idea of like a threat of you know of a catastrophe that you can that, that that's not necessarily going to hit you, but that you can choose to prepare mm, for or choose yeah. to ignore. Yeah, this one sounds a bit like kind of a pushier luck in terms yeah, of exactly. if you're on the brink of disaster, do you just kind of keep flying towards the sun and hope that they're not made of and wax? If you're me, wings? yes, Icarus yeah. is a fine <laughs> entrepreneurial spirit, <laughs> and the, he he should be. Uh, uh, endorsed. I never could get you to read the end of that book, could I? Nope. Uh, it, I'm so happy he made it to the sun. What Another, was it made of, I wonder? Uh, the cheese. I do want to say before we move on to... Uh, oh, I'll let you pick, Matthew. I was um, going to, yeah. Um, go. But I find it interesting that uh, now Shut Up and Sit Down has reviewed... Like, it's, it's not... We've not covered the whole back catalogue, but we've covered so many of the big games that were around bef- when we started the site. Um, and now there, it's like being a sort of big game hunter, but not without, like... The massively unpopular connotations of that. Um, whereby there are these games like Bruges or Modern Art by Reinhard Knizia, which has a Simon um, edition coming later this year. Mm, I'd or, like to try uh, that. I am covering in the news. <laughs> I'm so hot for a game called Container that this week they announced. <laughs> um, you know, you know, Container Paul. I have heard of it. Yes. Yes, it's a game of shipping containers that my friends who are like game design lecturers at New York University played once and were like. Oh, it's crazy. <laughs> like, these are the people who can handle anything. We're like, this game makes no sense. But yeah, you all run shipping container companies. But I'm putting in the news next week the announcement that a Kickstarter is coming for the next edition. And that's exciting because all the ships are huge. 
Paul, do you remember the ships in Panamax? Yeah. They are, they are making, they are shipping the new edition of Container with plastic ships that are like 11 centimetres long. Just the name Container and the brief description of what Dude, the game is. It's, it's so dry, I feel like you've just given me dermatitis. Oh. Just, just from... Here's the thing, Matthew. You're joking. If you Google image search this, it is exactly what you think it is. I really want to play it. Though. I want to play it. So yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, the new edition comes with plastic boats that are the size of, um, like plastic boats you play with in the bath. Oh my god! Like, yeah, I'm, I'm How so How big a house hyped. do you need for this? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it'll be like ogre, and it'll just come in a huge box. Anyway, Matthew, what game do you want to talk about next? Well, I was going to say like a similar thing to Bruges in a way of like, uh, as Paul found, it's kind of difficult to explain it or why it's good. Yeah. Um, Tigris and Euphrates. We just reviewed tigers and it. pots. Tigers and pots. We just uh, reviewed that on the site uh, video. Not really going to try and explain the game that much because it's it, we struggled in video where you get to physically point at things and you had to use tremendous amounts of B-roll. <laughs> just to try and illustrate it it's a game which there's no very easy way to describe how to play it even if you're a seasoned explainer of rules it's kind of like you just kind of kind of grin and bear it mm. but once it gets going it's a, actually a remarkably simple abstract puzzle about area control and uh, taking points and it is glorious yeah it's really it's exciting fantastically clever we had a guy in the comments of that review um, uh, a guy or a girl I can't remember uh, commenting that um the easiest way to explain it is actually to not do what you do with lots of abstract games of being like, here's how you get victory points, here's how you uh, compete for areas, but to entirely explain it in a thematic way. So it's like, we're all building up cities, and then when two cities meet, obviously there's a war, and obviously you can't have two of the same kind of leader. Um, yeah. Obviously it's called, a it's called a rebellion if a new leader appears in the same city. And I found that when teaching it. It's like the game, you would assume you just want to explain it in terms of points and grids. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But actually, it, when you start explaining it in terms of kings and combat, it becomes a lot easier for people to remember as well. Yeah. And that's what uh, mm -hmm. I think game designers can sometimes like not realise how useful it is, is that the advantage of thematic games is that it transports players, but yes. also that it makes rules ten times easier to remember. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'd really recommend people go and watch the video, but as a short thing, I'd basically just say that what I loved about it was how it, it both simultaneously managed to conjure up this this sense of you building these amazing huge cities and mm -hmm. strongholds and feeling unstoppable and feeling like a behemoth and also feeling like at any point you could just pop in the back door and completely destroy someone else's empire yeah. with one kind of click of your fingers. It's... It, <laughs> There are so many war games out there, but I don't know how many of them really have that feeling of players looking at a kingdom on the board and going, oh my God. Yeah, <laughs> you have you have moments where you just suddenly spot something on the board you can do, and it's just an unbelievable game changer in one move. Yeah. And uh, it just, the butterflies in my, it was like a terrarium wow. of, of butterflies in my yeah. heart. It was like an explosion, I had to hold it in. No, that's it. It's uh, I, We mentioned this in a subtitle, I think, in the video, Paul, but Matt and I played a two-player game of Tigris and Euphrates that was the most tense thing we've ever played Good Lord, as yeah. a two-player game. A few um, people were like, oh, did you film it? It would have been a great Let's Play. It's like, it would not. Like, <laughs> it was literally two hours of me and Quinn's mostly sitting in silence looking at the board mm. and being very tense. I mean, plus, if we'd done it as a Let's Play, you and I would have been trying to like occasionally say funny things and then our strategies would have collapsed. Yeah, but it was unbelievably intense yeah it was it was good have you played tigris paul i haven't i've never seen a copy in the wild i don't think really i don't think i have no it did these these things slip you by you know it was I, like now none of us can imagine not knowing about um raw by the same designer but yes. um you know sure enough we were over at fantasy flight and they were like 
uh, you know, oh, we're you know we're remaking Ra. Have you played Ra? And we're like, no. We're like, no. And they pulled out the old version, and we played this like ancient game from the nineties. Um, let's let's briefly touch on something that was a bit less good because we have finally played drumroll, zombie side. Yes, right. so Black Plague. Which How is... was it? Well, Paul, do you? <laughs> no, I'm not going to be. I'm not going to be coy about this. Um, it was. Better in some ways than we were expecting, and mm-hmm. worse in some ways than we were expecting. Because um, Zombie Side has had a lot of successful Kickstarters. Um, a lot of people out there are, are big fans of Zombie Side. Have a lot of Zombie Side product. Yeah. Um, it's always been a bit difficult to buy if you don't get in on a Kickstarter because if people aren't aware, Zombie Side is a big box filled with dozens and dozens of plastic zombies and heroes. And the original game had you running around a modern city, and now they're doing all these medieval versions where you're medieval uh, sort of D&D heroes fighting zombie necromancer minions or zombie orcs, that kind of thing. And if I'm um, right, like, the production quality is very good. Oh, it's unbelievable. Yeah, I was surprised by this. Yeah, I think, to be honest, the, the production quality was the thing that first struck me, and when we first sat down to play, I was actually quite excited because um, uh, the, the minis are great, but the, the main thing I love, actually, was the fact that the character sheets are like these plastic boards that you, everything yeah. pops into, and your inventory is like a little like a shelf of guess who style pop-up bits that you can stack the little cards in and reshuffle them around and and just everything like it's even like smoothed off so that when you when you need to pick a card up yeah they're like you're picking up a card it actually slides on and off the side of the board in a way which is so satisfying and when you get experience you like pull out these little pips and pip them in to like show where you're uh, where you're, where you've leveled up your character, and that was a joy. Yep. Um, the art, um, they must, they have some great concept artists from. I can't say that I know the name of the illustrators, but the the cover of the box is great. The art on the tiles are nice. Um, and female characters that like weren't problematic. Yep, that's all lovely stuff. Um, Unfortunately, I thought the game was awful. <laughs> you know like, what? I've just remembered because you and I. Uh, have been being told to play Zombie Side and that we shouldn't make fun of Zombie Side for so long that when we finished playing this at the UK Games Expo, uh, we went and had Mexican food and I wrote down in my notebook you did all the things that were wrong. Do you know what I have with me now, Matthew? You've got your notebook. It's in Ooh. my backpack. Hang on. Amazing. Because I half remember the things I wanted to say, but it was one of those things where we just started having a conversation going, yeah, this wasn't good, this wasn't great, and you were like, right, I'm writing this down. Okay, well, here's page one. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yes, um... So uh, what we, I've got, what I note I've got here is where the game looks nice is not where you play. Um, the pegboards were not where the game resides. Yeah, that, that was it. Yeah, and then you also have large zombie crowds, and that was actually probably mechanically the coolest thing is that um, unlike uh, Descent or Imperial Assault, if you've played those where characters characters occupy a grid, um, in Zombie Side you can pack like miniature after miniature into one space, so you've got yeah. a proper like uh, uh, George Romero style shoulder to shoulder zombie. Horde. You can have mobs. There's hordes of stuff being added to the board, and. That was cool. Yes, but yeah. it wasn't quite where the game was. We spent a lot of the scenario we were playing sort of watching these hordes show up quite excitedly while we played a very 1980s run around a map and roll some dice at a thing. Yeah. Um, and then the main thing that, that Matt pointed out was that it's just possible to have astonishingly uninteresting turns. Yes. Um, because you just, unlike uh, one of the things that um, Fantasy Flight figured out with Descent and Imperial Assault, is if there's not a monster around, then you can turn those attacks into just incredible speed. 
you can sprint across the whole board in a way that's like bam, 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 bam. Um, and then you can make multiple attacks. You roll big handfuls of dice, whereas in Zombie Side, before your character's leveled up, you would you might move one space and roll one attack and then miss, and then roll another attack and then miss, and that's your turn, and you have had zero fun. Yes, that's it. I mean, also, like I think what was lovely about Imperial Assault and Descent and stuff is you've got character skills, you've got different things you can do right off the bat, whereas in this, it's just felt like... Um, because of the fact that so much of the game is go into a room, kill some monsters, search for treasure. And when you search for treasure, you just take a card from a big deck and you never know what you're going to get. And if one person just gets an amazing weapon for them straight away, then they're just going to dominate. And it's interesting. One of the mechanics that seemed interesting mm. was the whole way that XP... Um, experience the, points. The experience stuff is um, basically the character who has the highest level all of the enemies in the game are scaled to them. Yeah. Which I thought was really interesting as a way of encouraging players to ensure that everyone's getting equally level. But actually, yeah. it's kind of an attempt to fix a problem in the game and the fact that one character is likely just to get some good stuff early on and be the person who can do stuff. I spent most of my rounds in that game attempting to hit single zombies and doing nothing. Yeah, so the thing that we should cover is, like, I'm looking at all these pages of notes and, and it's got sentences like, um, for a game that features dice so much the randomness is in the wrong place, it's a step up from board games like Monopoly, but not a huge step up. Mm-hmm. Um all these criticisms, these are us going too deep because the thing that I've read from Zombicide fans when you say, like, oh, Zombicide's not that good, um, they will say, and I'm paraphrasing, well, it's not supposed to be, like, a great game. It's not supposed to be a brilliant work of design. It's a beer and pretzels game. It's just something you put on the table and it looks nice and you throw some dice and you have fun. Um, so I feel like if we're going to criticise it and tell people not to buy it, then that's the, that's the angle we should be attacking yes. from. And the first thing I'd say is if you want to just roll some dice and move some things around the board with your mate. Zombie Side is twice as expensive as yeah. like Imperial Assault. I mean, granted, Imperial Assault's also a lot more complicated. It is. Which is why I'd mention Conan, which, despite being a problematic game, is as simple as Zombie Side, but significantly more interesting. Um, but like, I don't know about you guys, but if I'm drinking and just hanging around with people, that's when I turn to games like Cockroach Poker. Skull. Or Skull, yep, or Spyfall, or stuff that right. allows people to kind of zone out of the game a bit. It, it's, it's it's a strange thing to me, and I think it's just that thing of like, I think what what if you what's the point? I don't I don't kind of get this beer and pretzels <laughs> thing. Like if I want to play a, a game with people who's having a few beers and zone out, I want to play a simple social game. Something that's not confrontational, like Skull or Cockroach Poker. Or the resistance. Or just the, stuff yeah. where it's not like by the way, it's your turn. Yeah. And you go, oh, okay. And but with this, it's like, it just felt like it was a, a way of, it felt very video gamey in me, to me, of it being like, hey, this is a really effective way of just making time pass. Yeah. And that's something that I'm just not interested in. Like the idea of being like, hey, come around to my house for the afternoon will like make the time go away. <laughs> it's, I mean, that, maybe that's just a, an age thing. I don't know. But I think I, I spent a lot of time when I, in my teens and early 20s doing that but now it's like it's it's difficult enough to get people around my house for the afternoon the idea yeah. of them doing nothing like nothing that's, that, a way that's insane yeah you know um, what this also- actually reminds me of a little is going back to the ghostbusters game i mentioned uh, a couple of weeks ago on another podcast there, there were turns yeah. where it was just like you negotiate how to get into ecto-1 and drive it a few spaces and then you all get out again and it's like we just spent a turn parking. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's this. It's it's all the the sort of uh, yeah. I, I mean, for me, the main thing actually that really rubbed me up was the fact that this little board, the little character board in front of you, was so dynamic and so beautiful and so fun. And I think I only had to touch it like two or three times in about an hour. Mm. And it's just this thing of being like, why spend all this money and detail and attention to things that you just don't use, you don't actually get to engage with? Yeah. It so- just felt like I, I I get the the beer and pretzels argument, but like, why can't you just do that with a game that's fun? 
Yep, or just cheaper. I mean, surely they're cheaper, cheaper for game, God's sake. Yeah. Um, but uh, let's. I mean, so this is clearly not for us. This is not a franchise we're necessarily going to be talking about again on Shut Up and Sit Down. Um, and that's fine. More power to the people who like it. That's great. For the love of God, life's too short to oh, yeah, yeah. dictate yeah. what you like and you don't like. But we're going to move on now, and let's move on to another mysterious game in the BGG Top 100. Let's talk about railways of the world. This is really funny, right? Because we were taking the mic at... Well, I wasn't really taking the mic. I was just making stupid jokes about trains because I'm an idiotic man. No, because trains... People around the world, our foreign audience, might not know that trains and people who enjoy trains... Inherently are funny. Figures of fun. Yeah, inherently in our, funny in, in our the UK. Country. In our culture, where we come from... <laughs> You must understand where Which is, I'm from. Trains are very funny. But it's weird because the best um, cartoon trains in the world come from the UK, which is you know, Thomas, Thomas the Tank Engine and Ivor the Engine yeah. by uh, ooh, the guy who also did Bagpuss and the Clangers. I've read his... Oliver oh, really? Postgate. Oliver Postgate is a, a great guy. man. I've read his autobiography. It's made dead. me cry in multiple places. Wow. He's not dead. He's no, not he dead. is dead. He is dead, yeah. He I'm pretty sure he's dead. Interesting. Okay, God, I, yeah, I love the Clangers so much. But anyway, we were going to play this because uh, I, I was taking the mech out of all these train games, but then when I actually started like reading about them and looking them up and looking at photographs, I was like, I actually genuinely really want to play this. So we went for Railways of the World, which was... The highest rated train game on Board Game Geek. Yeah, like in the 80s, I think it was. But it was... Was it? I think it was quite high up. We were expecting oh, I thought you meant it was released in the 1980s. No, no, no. But yeah, we, we were basically looking for a good entry point into that genre there's a whole genre of these train games that are all quite similar by the same guy basically. oh i think 18 it's uh, yeah the, the, the same martin wallace yes who you're talking about who did rails over the world did a bunch of train games yeah but the train genre on board game geek um oh that's why a whole that. bunch of people. yeah that's that's definitely wider obviously but the uh, train genre train no but it within his own work it seems to be a genre yes um and it was all right and I, <laughs> okay yeah should we get to this it yeah. was it was so uh, my disappointment was it, Paul? But wait, Paul, w- w- what would you like to know first and foremost about Railways of the World? Well, like, I, I am interested if you know what makes it distinct amongst what seems to me from the outside as quite a collection of similar games with similar ideas and, you know, similar concepts, similar themes. What for you makes it, like, different or better or not better than all of the other Railways-related board games? Well, um, we were pointed towards this one for a couple of reasons, one of which is that it's really quite accessible. Um, I like that. It's not a complicated game, and it was really funny, actually, because I got around to Matt's house to play it, and um, and I was like, you ready to play this? And Matt was like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm working. I've actually been working quite hard today. And then I looked over and saw Railways of the World in the Corner with the shrink wrap still on, Yeah, and I was like, Oh God! Because obviously, I had to learn a game in like twenty minutes. I, yeah, and I was like, oh no. Um, but then we, I opened the box and I'm like, oh, because the box is huge. This thing weighs like it's five, so it's big. Five kilos of trains, or not five kilos. Look, that's all. I've now got, I've now got the game, the base game, and the expansion, uh, Railways of Great Britain, in the same box in my house, and I don't know what to do with it. It's so big. It could crush a toddler. It it's, could kill somebody. I'm uh, worried. Um, it's yeah, but, but yes, it's mostly cardboard. A huge board, the biggest board I've ever, almost the biggest board. Oh wow, really? Um, anyway, the point is though, this heavy game had like six pages of rules, and then just like Ticket to Ride, wherever you want to go in the world, Railways of the World can take you there. And so I bought the Railways of Great Britain expansion so we could play on the Great Britain board. Mm-hmm. And they're all good for different players. The base game comes with Mexico and America. Anyway. Uh, what makes it different is that, in addition to this accessibility um, 
It can take you anywhere. And it's kind of like a natural next step up from Ticket to Ride, I would mm. describe it. You're still building trains and connecting routes and trying to block spaces. Mm-hmm. So all the stuff that's actually really clever about Ticket to Ride, where you're judging like, oh, well, I, I don't want to use my wild train now, but maybe I should to claim this route in the middle. In Railways of the World, you're more like, oh, I'm kind of broke, but I want to connect Liverpool to Newcastle because so I I'm think... I'm going to take another loan. So I'm going to take another loan, which is a permanent dent in my income. It's, um, a, it's a perfect cross between Ticket to Ride and Brass, if people can imagine those two games. Like There, there uh, are a lot of options baby. about how to try and make points yeah. and make money. Like You could either try and make a really fast train that could go across the board through many stops at once or you could try and just make a really solid little short infrastructure or you could try and just make as I did I just tried to make really long tracks I wasn't really trying to deliver any goods I was just like I just wanted to make a track that went from London up to like Scotland somewhere yeah that was it I remember and, it now. yeah so it was weird I was the only person making really long tracks really um, other people were doing shorter like basically like transport tycoon almost of like just basically looking for places that needed goods and places that had goods and just like trying to link them up and you went mad for your train upgrades didn't you you got a train that could just zoom around no I think that was Ed <laughs> but <laughs> listen to Paul losing his mind it's, it sounds right immediately this sounds really good and really interesting yeah. to me the fact you can do a lot of different things yes if we well there the was... thing is right it's not bad <laughs> It's right? re- oh no! Sorry, sorry. We've 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 maybe made this sound worse than it is. We yeah. all had a lovely time. We had a good time. I but, would play but it again. Quentin killed it for me Did in I? one tiny sentence. Okay. One point. I was playing this and I was thinking, this is okay. This is all right. I'm having it's, not it's, it's a bad good. time. It's a good. It's, it's good. It's a. It absolutely belongs very high up. And then board, you were like, it? this is quite good, isn't it? And I was like, yeah, it is quite good. But then you said, but I think I'd rather play Ticket to Ride. And I was like, yeah. I yeah. would as well. And that for me was like, I kind of felt that even though it had different mechanics and it had newer th- things, there wasn't anything inherently about it that was giving me an experience that I valued more than anything that Ticket to Ride gave me. And it just had more rules and was bigger. Yeah. And so, it took longer. Um, uh, yes, yeah, so there's a quote that I like that I'm going to use now. But um, the thing is that within the genre of trained board games, you can go so complicated, right? Um, and a lot of them see players buying stock in different railway companies. Um, mm. You can see an example of that in... Um, my review of the deluxe version of Power Grid, that's a video we have on the site, which comes with a module where you can buy stocks in the different power companies, so you can own stock in another player, all that stuff, and then you can dump your stock, and then you and they can be enormously difficult and complicated. And Railways of the World is not that. Railways of the World is like the light, wonderful, smooth entry version. But for me, it's like, look, I've just invited my friends over... And we're playing a game about connecting, you know, London to Wales by railways. We've yeah. got a card with a picture of our railway baron on. I'm and it's already, big and it's heavy. And it's so big. It, it's the biggest board I've ever seen. It's like, I'm being such a dork right now. Um, and the quote that I like is, if I'm already speeding, I might as well do cocaine off the dashboard as well. If I'm already being this nerdy, I want to be playing the train game that is the nerdiest. Because this halfway house... It's just like, well, I'd just rather play Ticket to Ride, which is like... I know what you mean. ...more colourful, you know? It managed to conjure up this weird zone for me that is often a thing I find, not often with board games, but I'm never fond of it, where I understand the game. I feel I understand the game. I feel I understand all the options available to me. But I have no real concept of how well I'm doing, and I have no real concept of how to do better. And it always leaves me feeling like 
floaty and it's not for me a sign that I've really established with a game that's great I like this feeling of like drive of I'm going to do this because I think it's yeah. going to be a good tactic and I think a lot of that came down to the way you could like keep borrowing money but the bonds that you got from borrowing money might lose you would lose you points at the end I just it was like it wasn't complex enough to be really gritty and nitty and interesting but it was complex enough that I couldn't quite pass how to play it that well, it, yeah. which for me just left me feeling a bit like, for a game that was big and heavy and long, I thought I'd have to play this a couple of times to really get a sense of how to even be good at it. Which is great if you're playing board games in the early 90s when there aren't that many and you want to get the most out well, of it. Or it's great if you really love trains <laughs> and you have friends who really love trains. Yes, that is absolutely true. Um, we should move on because we have maybe the most special reader mail. Oh my goodness. Ooh, put your hand in my mailbag for me a letter Okay, boys. Um, do you remember maybe three podcasts ago, Paul had a word to say about ghosts? Yes. Paul was... Oh, yeah. uh, it was more than a bloody word. Uh, Paul spent a few minutes talking about ghosts, and this seems to have struck a chord with reader James Travis. And James writes... Jump in if you're ever having trouble uh, following what James has to say. But. <laughs> This is the most logical explanation to Paul's ghost issue as it matches our observations from film and literature and explains a second property of ghosts. Perceived, quote, ghostliness is the ability of ghosts to travel through a fourth spatial dimension. Corporeal world has a value zero in the fourth spatial dimension. Ghosts are entities which can move through this fourth dimension but cannot access this zero value. Ghosts can touch each other when necessary simply by moving to the same value on the fourth spatial coordinate, brackets W axis. For example, two ghosts with W coordinates of three would be able to high five, but a ghost with a double coordinate W coordinate of five would not be able to high five with a ghost with W coordinate eight. Ghosts can likewise move through each other simply by ensuring they have a separate W coordinate to the objects they are attempting to permeate. Paul, is this making ghosts make sense for you now? It, it is because in it's giving them a, almost a different access of axis of mu- movement in my mind. It's, it's like they can sidestep each other or <laughs> it's li- yes. Uh, li- okay, so here's the thing. This is my favorite bit. Ghosts presumably, says uh, James, become less visible as their W coordinate gets larger. It is presumed that either there exists some maximum W coordinate, for ease we could say one, at which ghosts are completely invisible, or ghosts can increase their W coordinates sufficiently high that humans are incapable of perceiving them. But other animals may be capable, Mm. which would explain why cats are so often able to detect ghosts or ghostly regions. There's a lot of really good facts in here. Yeah. (laughs) I think, James, it's just great when an expert writes it. I mean, everyone knows most of this stuff, but just to see all of these facts (laughs) condensed in such a clear tangible way is just so useful it doesn't say on here but i would imagine that james is some kind of phd or uh it must be spooky studies yeah he knows his way around a good spooky uh without knowing if there is a maximum w value it is not feasible to speculate on the mathematics of how ghostly other ghosts appear to each other except that ghosts with the same w coordinate would appear as corporeal to each other as any two living people this model does not allow for a fade in effect where one ghost phases out of existence as another ghost in the exact same place becomes more prominent. A proposed fifth spatial dimension would enable such a phenomenon, but I've never actually seen two ghosts do that trick. No, and I think sometimes when you think you've seen that trick of one ghost turning into another, 
or phasing in the space of another. Mm. I think it's more likely that actually it's just one ghost playing a trick by pretending to be another ghost. I mean, we're not even getting right. into like how ghosts can change their appearance, which would be... I mean, that's a whole other reader email. So. Is it fair to yeah. say that the longer that you're a ghost, the better you get at this as well? Mm. Like, you might become can a ghost can... and not fully sort of be... Like the film uh, Ghost starring Patrick Swayze, he becomes a better ghost once he learns how to do ghost stuff, which is taught by the ghost man. But I... is that correlation, not causation? Do we assume that Patrick Swayze is getting better uh, because he's getting older? Or might we assume that he's getting older because he is uh, more able to communicate with his lost love. And then, of course, you've got um, you've got other situations like in Ghostbusters 2, Vigo in the painting. He's obviously become so advanced that phasing into uh, the W-axis at the point where he's visible, but he's also actually managed to colour match our reality <laughs> so it looks like he's a painting. Oh, I would have assumed he's fading in out the W reality for the, the W-axis. I guess so, maybe very, very quickly. So it's like maybe it's like a refresh rate on a monitor where it's like he's just... Actually, he's right there, but actually you can't quite see him unless you've got polarised lenses or a special camera. I would steer us away from talk about refresh rates because there's a tiny section of the internet that gets very angry about refresh rates. <laughs> uh, I, think, I think ghosts that aren't at 60 frames per second are entirely unplayable. Uh, should, <laughs> should we uh, do... An, uh, yeah, let, let's, let's shall. Let's do a proper reader mail. Uh, Matthew, would okay. you like to read the italicised... I started using italics in my podcast document. If you do that, it looks like a letter. Yeah. It immediately Ooh. pops it to life. What a great guy. I used a tiny font, though, because we have loads of letters. So you're but it makes it feel like a letter as well. Okay. A letter from a small person. <laughs> okay, who's our small person today? Hi, guys. It's Dan Aspel. Hi, guys. I recently discovered, discovered Shut Up and Sit Down and just wanted to send you all a huge internet high five. Nice. Presumably, he's in our W-axis position. Yeah, he must he is. be. Uh, when I rediscovered... Uh, well, no, hang on. We can't confirm he's not a ghost. Mm. But we can we can uh, guess that he might occupy our W axis. Well, he You're occupied right. an axis with a keyboard because he typed this. Did he? Maybe let's presume for now he's not a ghost. <laughs> oh, he may have dictated it. Sorry, onward, yes. When I rediscovered board gaming in 2017, it was with a little trepidation that I've started to broach the subject with friends who might be too polite to tell me that I'm regressing. No, 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 no. But your work has gone a long way to convincing all of us that Carcassonne Flam Rouge, Mysterium and Codenames are some of the best fun you can have as 30-somethings with a pool of eager friends. I think he's named like the top four board games the site would name. cracking. Yeah. You've done well. I've even signed up to paying you a pittance each month, so enjoy that pittance. Thank you very much for the pittance. It's appreciated. As an aside, I found myself completely consumed by the Game of Thrones, the card game, second edition. A game that has seems to satisfy on a great number of levels, from the intellectual and mathematical to the pure fanboy geeky. I know that you are big fans of Netrunner, and I'd love to see you guys review Thrones with the kind of expertise and humour that only you could bring to it. Keep up the awesome work. You know, I've had people talk to me about the Game of Thrones card game recently mm-hmm. my friend Laurie has been playing a bit of it and he's he seems to love it yeah I think I, what I what I was uh, wanted to talk about then there is is this it's it's why we don't cover board games that are super hardcore like I wanted to, us to talk a bit about the difficulties of covering like a living card game that's changing every month um wasn't there like X-Wing you know where miniatures are coming out and, mm. and the board games that more resemble a hobby for that person, which is what Netrunner was for me, because Shut Up and Sit Down doesn't really have an easy way to review those things, right? No, I suppose it's when you do it and how you do it, and not understand the nature of what it's going to become as well. When you first started covering X-Wing, like, it was taking off a bit, but now, God, is it Wave 17 now? It's it's <laughs> oh, become it's a kind of 
an insane hobby. And I felt the same thing with Star Wars Destiny with the dice. It's like I played it, I quite like the base game, but there's no way for me to further jump into it without starting to buy booster packs for a couple of quid a pop. And I don't know if I want to do that. It's a huge um, investment, of li- literally of money, but also of time. And I, th- I think that's why um, th- they demand almost their own sites or people who only cover that. Things like Netrunner has things like Terminal 7, which is only about Netrunner because there is so much Netrunner happening all the time. There are expansions, there are tournaments. There are things happening in the scene that uh, you would need like a whole nother shut up and sit down that just did Netrunner or just Absolutely. did X-Wing. I mean, this is what we've kind of found with um, uh, something that has worked for the site now is, of course, we have Cynthia doing uh, the most of the RPG reviews for us. And then she can get to know that scene and cover something that's really quite complicated, you know, with expertise. And of course, we have Eric Tonyo's um uh ex nebraskan um who does miniatures games reviews yeah. for us but it's even with something like card games you know i i now know quite a bit about collectible card games but even but it doesn't translate into the next collectible card game every card game is so different which isn't always true of miniatures games yeah it's difficult i mean basically unfortunately without actually taking a deep dive and actually existing in that space for a long time and then you can talk about one of them yeah <laughs> um it's very difficult to know how to cover it. And I mean, also, it's like I look back and think about how video games websites used to try and cover MMOs. And it would just be this thing of being like, you know, week one. Oh, yeah. Have, you know, a website would write a review of this new MMO, but it would always be like, but obviously, you know, it's, 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 it's going it, it would always be like, ah, it's all right at the moment. It might be really good when they add more stuff. Who knows? But you know, that's a point. I wanted to talk about this mail as a kind of mea culpa for being like, I'm sorry, shut up and sit down. Can't review complicated stuff like the Game of Thrones card game. But actually, even if we published a review, unlike the rest of our content, that review would become outdated because we'd be talking about a meta that wouldn't exist as more expansions came out. Exactly. And yeah. it was funny, you know, we, we had a big talk about um, Arkham Horror LCG when it came out being that's like, do so we want to, do we want to review this? Like, because we were reviewing the base game we had no idea what it was going to be like after that but we fell after both finishing it I also remember starting that and us being not initially hugely turned on by it as well Mm. yeah if, if they'd only released the base game, I don't know if we would have given that a good review, but we had to play a little more. It's it's all based on, um, what's the word? Uh, we do everything on a case-by-case basis, and it's going to be sloppy because it's a, it's a a there's no real solution for no. people like us. No. Um, Paul, you've talked a bunch. I remember a couple of collectible games have come out, like um, uh, Ashes, Rise of the Phoenix Born, and maybe one or two others where... You've played it and gone, maybe this will be the one that I've gotten into. But as far as I'm aware, yeah. you've never gotten into one of these yet. It's never really quite happened. And I, I think um, that, like the base game of Ashes, I found very good. And I liked the dynamic of how you played that. Um, and, you know, like there are friends of mine in Vancouver who have recently sort of got back into playing Magic again. And I've been roped into a couple of games and it's OK. But I feel so much Was it more... magical? No, it was not magical. It it's okay. There's a lot of cards in Magic. It was interesting just to see how much stuff there is in the game. But the dynamics of like how Ashes worked just made me a lot more excited and a lot more interested to, to play it. And I've enjoyed it. And I have broken it out a couple of times since with people. But I feel like I don't have the time to keep up with the scene. And I'm not excited enough to get that level of investment that you need to be a good player. Because you need to play regularly. You need to keep up with what's going on. You need to understand the expansions and you need to try a lot of different things. And very often, I just want to try a new game. I just want to break something out of the something else out of the cupboard um, and do something different. And it's so weird having all my Netrunner stuff now. Now I've stopped playing and I've got like, you know, 350 pounds of Netrunner in my living Mm. room. And it's like, 
what do I do with this now? <laughs> because unlike X-Wing, you know, it's not, it's not kind of a... I've played competitively. I can't just, you can't just play have my a, old yeah, version now. Yeah. But X-Wing, you know, I've got my X-Wing ships. And I, I come around and I'm like, hey, Quinns, play some Netrunner with me. Oh, my God. Yeah, you just be like, no. But and X-Wing, you know what, think- actually? It's also just, you talk about something like Netrunner. It's all of that just for two people to play a game. And that, yeah, I feel that's yeah. a thing. I mean, at least X-Wing, I guess you can sort of have more folks around the table and put people in charge of different things. But it's it's a lot to ask for to sort of... You know, for just two people to do together. It's so it's so weird. It's true. But hey, at the same time, like we are all still in mad enthusiasts. And so I think like whilst it's only sensible to just do what video game websites do of like either having a big enough, wide enough staff to just have everyone going off and deep dives into one thing for ages, which we wouldn't want to do anyway, because it's not it's no. not who we are. You just accept that you can't really effectively cover that stuff and don't. But of course, we're still so into it that I'm sure at some point one of us will just get madly into something. Yeah, like, absolutely. It's but who will it be? I'm still slowly plodding through Arkham. That's the thing. Oh, like, me too. But, but I'm having great, a whale of a time with it. Our, our friends over at Team Covenant described Arkham as just like it's like watching an episode of a TV series, and you can just watch it whenever you want. It just, it goes at your own rate. We had a thing in one of the bonus uh, missions where we fluffed a rule so badly. We were doing so badly. I won't go into any details, but we just hadn't. I hadn't read one of the rules properly that we got two thirds of the way through it, and we were just like, I just said it was getting really late it was like half past midnight and Laurie wanted to go home I was like man should we just like retcon this and just do it start this mission again and we kind of felt like it was half cheating but it's half like and then we thought the more I thought about it since I've realised it's like I'm just going to add this into the lore of Arkham in my game. It's like we had some sort of weird dream about this. this <laughs> oh, and now no. we kind of remember some of the details, but not many and not all of them. And Because there was so much we hadn't seen. Like so much of the, like all of the bad deck, the agenda, just mm. gone, gone, gone. And we hadn't seen any of the acts because we just completely fluffed the rules. Um, but no, it, it's just wonderful. It's 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 a hell of a thing. And it's just crazy seeing that they've got a whole new campaign coming out. And ugh, Yeah, ugh. if you haven't watched our review of that, actually, please go and do so. It's one of our most ridiculously produced things we've ever made. It's a lot of fun. So, uh, yeah, so if, you, that. if you want to find that, just search for Shut Up and Sit Down Arkham Horror LCG or Card Game Review. Folk Game of the Month. So we have another folk game as well written into us. Uh, interestingly sent in by Anonymous this time. That's, I it's think, the first a, time. Has that I don't happened? know if it's the first time, but it is a very good sign. Well, okay, here we go. Anonymous says, could be anybody. It could be anyone. They say, hi, it folks. It could be me. It could be me. Why Was did we both think about you? Was it you? Let's find out. <laughs> Hi folks, having heard your discussion regarding the game's teacher's play, I thought you'd be intrigued to hear about a common guessing game amongst ambulance personnel. It requires some background. When you phone 999, which is the emergency number in the uh, in the UK, you'll be well, asked zeroing by the, in on him. You'll be asked by the operator which service you require. When you say ambulance, you'll then be put through to someone called a call taker. First, they'll ask you for your location, because regardless of the problem, if we can't find you, we can't help you. Next, they'll start asking questions about what's happening. The call taker is following an algorithm which helps identify how serious your condition is. It's important to remember that call takers are not clinically trained. Accurate triage over the phone and via an algorithm is very tricky. For example, someone hits their leg and is in pain. They tend to breathe more quickly. Therefore, when asked over the phone, is the patient breathing normally? The answer is no, and the patient gets triaged as having breathing difficulties, which is prioritized higher than a hurt leg. Another common example is a call for cardiac arrest, i.e. someone has died in a, in a restaurant. This happens when you eat a lot of food and something called the vagal nerve... 
I don't know if I'm saying that right, is stimulated. This slows down your heart rate, which in turn drops your blood pressure and you collapse. To any non-medical personnel, it looks like you just died. But 99.99% of the time, we get these calls, we rush to the room to find someone on the floor feeling a bit dizzy and wondering what has just happened. How so, much do you not want that to happen to you? That oh you eat man. in a restaurant and an ambulance yeah. gets called and they go... Are you dead? No, you just ate, you didn't chew your as someone fish who, sticks. As someone who fainted twice whilst going through airport security recently. Uh, you don't want that to happen. You don't. Oh my God. It's bad enough to, to open your eyes and realise you're looking up at, at security personnel and thinking, what's going on? But when it happens a second time, you know exactly what's going on. <laughs> and you just go, oh no. It's bad enough when you're English. People don't understand that yeah. we would probably rather die than wake up again <laughs> in the restaurant. I'm just so glad it didn't happen to me in America because I'd probably still be in interrogation. Oh God. Oh, anyway, carry on, Paul. So a non-medical person gives details of a job to someone who follows an algorithm, which then gets passed to a third person who passes it on to the attending crew via a short radio message and some text on a screen. Inevitably, this leads to a game of what's actually wrong with a patient. To play this game, you actually... You simply wait for the next call on your radio. When it comes in, listen carefully to the details you're given and then decide what's actually wrong with the patient. (laughs) Cardiac arrest in a restaurant? Probably a faint. Multiple vehicle traffic collision? Four people trapped in a car? Seven cars in total? No, four people with some smashed number plates and everybody walking out and walking around, getting out, walking around. 20-something-year-old male lying in the road unconscious, possibly in cardiac arrest. No, it's Friday night. They're probably drunk. It's all good, clean fun until you get it wrong, and it's a really seriously ill patient. But that's what the Oh, my God! For. This is what it's all written. good, clean fun until someone is literally... <laughs> well, that goes without saying. But a lot of the time, people are fine, aren't they? Yeah. There's everyone I know who has either worked in the medical profession or knows people who work in the medical profession, like a good friend friend of mine's father is a doctor, say that there is always an amount of, I think, respectful dark humour, which is has sort of become necessary for doing the job for any length oh, of time. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, out there right now listening to this, there is going to be someone who thinks to themselves, how, how dare they, you know? <laughs> like, these are injured dying people who've like been in a car accident and are fighting for their life and you're making a game out of them to which i'd say oh i say let the ambulance crews do whatever it takes to get through the day it doesn't matter what job you've got you end up playing games i think that's the thing we've really zoned in on in this podcast with this feature and that's fine because play as we know doing this our job is just an inherent part of human life and you know if you're an if you're okay so a while back with the actors who play because it's incredibly boring doing the same play for the hundredth time sure and you know teachers need to play because that's stressful but like i feel like it's the professions where you'd least expect to find jokes so like soldiers and as as paul says doctors and like paramedics they're the people who need them the most oh god yeah especially in the nhs like i spent a lot of time in hospitals the past few years and gallows humor there is like high levels half because their jobs are like intense and dark things are happening all the time but also because they're being absolutely rinsed by our government and working horrendous hours mm-hmm. so sometimes you're like oh how are you doing they're like well this is my 18th hour today I haven't had a break yet but apart from that like, you know they're still having fun I mean we spent so much time with doctors and nurses that like the we would be getting in on the gallows humour with them about wow. our situation and you'd be making dark jokes about stuff because you just, you do, like, you just get used to it. Mm. It's uh, it's actually really funny, but also, like, doctors and nurses sometimes just have the best sense of humour. 
So what? Yeah, I I can see that. I mean, plus there's that you laugh extra hard when you feel like you're in on a joke. That's the whole point of like why the callback in in comedy is funny. So I think like yeah, if if a doctor or nurse is joking to you and you actually get the the doctor joke they're making, then it's like yeah, you're gonna laugh at that. Do we think this is a good game? I think it's a great game. <laughs> I think oh, it's though. probably when you're in that situation, it's probably something that keeps your your mind going and almost lowers your expectations to some degree as well. If you are getting lot because like. As the writer says, if anyone uh, who isn't medically trained sees a lot of these things, they're going to not be feeling great to see a friend fall over or see someone in a road. Whereas it's, you know, the ambulance driver's way of being like, ah, oh, this is probably another thing that isn't so bad. This is another thing that isn't so bad. I think it keeps you sort of uh, grounded. It keeps you calm and level-headed, sure. Every, yeah. I mean, everyone's played this game before to a lesser degree, though. It's like when you've got a friend who's just, like, organising a picnic and you speak to them on the phone and they go, oh, it's a disaster. Like, <laughs> this is... And you go... And then, you, and then on the way... You you're like, I wonder, like, you know, will it be like a bit of drizzle and someone forgot the scotch eggs? Or mm. will it actually be like, they can't like the barbecue, there's nothing to drink? Or the most mundane version of this game. Everyone has that friend where you're walking somewhere and then they start tapping their, their, their trousers and they go, oh, I've lost my wallet. I think I've lost my Guys, guys, yeah, I think oh, I've, I've lost been, my wallet. I must have been robbed. Oh my God. <laughs> and you're like, And I then you, it's, it's like, you yeah. wait. And then how how many minutes do you sit there? Like, because I'm, I'm really empathetic and I get really stressed out by people's problems. And so I yeah. have. I hate people that do that. Yeah. Whereby then like I get yeah. really in on the in on the panic, Exactly. And then like five minutes later they go, Oh, I was just in my pocket. Yeah. And it's, exactly. And it's just, like you just stress me out for no reason. Yeah. And then you want to kill them. Which and this is like the ultimate version of that. This is like you just made me drive at eighty miles an hour across central London. But they're so lovely. When I ended up in the back of an ambulance, I had no idea if I really needed it and I probably didn't. I mean admittedly I couldn't really get up and walk and I was in a lot of pain, but actually Oh, it was this just, isn't the climbing center? Yeah, it was just a temporary thing. It wasn't that bad. But they were like, Are you okay? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, can you walk? I don't think so. I don't know. Like, I'm, even then I felt like I was wasting their time, but they were so lovely. I don't think... I've told this joke to you guys a hundred times, but I don't think I've told it on the podcast of when I got hit by a car and um, oh, I was in the back of the ambulance. Yes. I was full of um, morphine. And so the first thing I was aware of after crossing the street, I sort of wake up in an ambulance and I'm, I'm high as a kite and the ambulance operator goes, can you hear me? And I go, yeah. <laughs> and then she goes... You've been in an ambulance, and I'm like, all right. And then she goes, "We need permission to cut your trousers off." And I went, "Yeah." <laughs> <laughs> and I swear, I thought you were in a cool club. I, I was like, "Oh yeah, baby, you can cut my trousers off and apply medical attention to me." People behave very strangely whilst on on uh, on painkillers. On painkillers. <laughs> yeah, Ooh, very, I'll very very, very quickly tell you something. As you will know, I I had a minor accident where something heavy fell on my foot about a week oh, ago. Oh, this was just yeah, this was just a week ago. Yeah, in sword fighting class, right? Yeah, and it's it's mostly fine now. There was a, a lot of swelling, but sort of nothing was broken. Um, and I there are a couple of friends there who are able to give me painkillers and tape it up very quickly, which is really good for reducing the swelling. So like today, it it's a week or so after, a little bit sore, but it all works just fine, and it's recovering really well, which is really nice. Um, but at the time when that happens, you like you, I didn't know if. Uh, it was going to be a thing because some of these things last for like three or four weeks where people have limited mobility. I didn't know how serious a collision it was. Um, and I was given a bunch of uh, ibuprofen, which is a painkiller and also reduces swelling. Mm -hmm. And I had the, I've only really had this much of a dose of a painkiller once before, which is when I had a serious sort of dental procedure when I was about 24. And the same thing happened both times, which is, uh, I feel okay, nothing hurts that much, and I just want to tell you that I feel okay and that nothing hurts. So if you know me or if you're nearby, I'll just tell you that I'm okay. 
<laughs> so I spent, like I went out and had a meal with a couple of friends afterwards because I was starting to feel a bit better and I could move around and it was, you know, nice to spend some company with friends. And I was just like, I feel okay. I'm, I'm fine. I'm right. And I remember it was like, it was 2004 or something when I'd been to the dentist and I just came home and I went online and I made sure that everyone who was online at the time who I spoke <laughs> oh, to knew that I was, wow. I'd taken some painkillers and I felt okay. And it was so, it's so stupid because it's almost like the most harmless thing to say to someone. But I, I do this. I don't know why I do it, but I do. I just go, hello, I'm okay. I feel quite good. How are you? Hello, I'm Paul. Okay. I'm okay. <laughs> He's a Paul Dean and he's okay. That is so. T- I but you know sometimes like uh, the like chemicals and drugs just dig out who you really are, Paul. And in this case, who you really are is okay. okay. I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> who, who underneath all the layers you take all the we have drilled down to the core of this man's psyche, and he is. Okay. He's yeah. He's fine. There must be something else, Commander. <laughs> no, he's just fine. Oh. <laughs> Well, that's lovely. So that's 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 adorable. Paul, uh, Matt and I need to wrap up because we're going to play yet another session of Blades, Blades in, in the, the Dark. dark. Have a lovely time. We're you don't have it. a lovely time with Blades in the Dark, Paul. You have yes, a you cool time. Villainous. Yes, you do. Murderous. No, murdering is bad. Murdering is big crows really come. bad because big crows come. Uh, and you can learn more about why murdering causes big crows to come in our review that might be up in a few months. We've got a backlog of amazing RPG reviews to cover. There was some really reckless murdering last week. I wasn't happy. You were very that. unhappy, but you can make sure that doesn't happen again. I'll try. Aww. I'll try. Anyway, thank you very much for listening. Uh, remember to to cut the medical industry uh, some slack if they're joking whilst cutting you open with knives. Uh, they've got a hard job. They've got a hard life. Let them make fun of your spleen. If you have a folk game about your professional life or your personal life or just something that you think is uh, that would be of great fun to uh, team Shut Up and Sit Down, you just email that in to contact at shutupandsitdown.com because we've got a lot of folk games to get through, but I'll tell you what, they're not going to last us forever. And if you send in a really good one, I just say, screw all these other games, and I bump you right to the top. Yeah, yeah. you just come right to the front of the queue through that little velvet rope thing. Everyone else goes, what the hell? And we're like, sorry, sir, it's a really this good... This folk game is too good looking. It's great. This folk game was featured on a... A shit newspaper recently. Yeah, and that's why they get they're in the analogy. Yeah, um, they're in a newspaper. They're a bit famous. And yeah, they get let into yeah. the VIP area. No, I got it. Okay, you think it was good? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was good. Great. I'm glad. I thought yeah. it was fine. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. Bye.